Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. Uh, my name's Chris uh, Barris. I'm, I'm a, uh, I, I also speak here sometimes on Sundays. Uh, if you're new here, you're like, who's that guy? Um, if you've been coming for the last month or so, you're like, who's that guy? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, the church gave me an opportunity to take a break, uh, take a sabbatical. We, we built it into sort of the policy of the church that at the seven-year mark and then again at the five, every five years after that, the full-time staff would get uh, about a month off or so. It just depends. And um, so I, I was kind of my second, second go of that here. You're in year 14, actually, it worked out. But uh, uh, able to take a break and get away, and I really appreciate the opportunity. We have very capable communicators here, and, and uh, I've heard a lot of great things. In fact, things were so good that while I was gone, uh, I came back and I, I said, you know, hit me with it. How's church? What's, what's happening? Who's, you know, because I, I tried not to get too engaged in the community here while I was gone, which was hard. Uh, but I got back and they were like, I mean, we've baptized several people since you've been gone. Uh, we got new people coming on Sunday. There's just a really good spirit in, in our church right now. And I was like, do you want me to leave for six more weeks? I can do that. If, like, this is great because the last time I had done this five years ago, it was not great while I was gone. There's just a lot of stuff going on. And so, um, so yeah, I was excited, and uh, it was very refreshing. I took a, a seminary class uh, up in Canada, and uh, they have the Bible up there too, and they teach it apparently, and so I, I took a class up there. I'm not going to drop all that information on you today. That'll be for next year, but uh, it was really good, and, and it's just a great opportunity, something I haven't done in decades, so it was really, really cool. So I'm excited to be back. Um, this feels a little bit also like one of those home makeover shows because I come back and like the carpet isn't sticky anymore and like something happened here while I was gone. I'm like, what? while I was out, you guys did some things. So well done. Thanks. This is uh, nice. I'm, maybe you didn't have anything to do with it, but I, I, the carpet's just lovely. And uh, it, looks, it looks good in here. I can no longer make all the jokes about you sticking to the floor because I don't know that that Maybe you're going to stick today. I don't know. I don't know if it's even true anymore, but um, it's, good to, it's good to get away, and it's uh, really great to be back. Um, I have lots of things to say, and if we're going to get out of here before lunch, I better start saying them. Um, so I just want to talk about the idea of us being open and closed. I think the tendency for all of us is to get more closed as we get older. We get um, closed off, you know, narrow-minded, uh, cynical, you might say, as we get older. And there's probably good reasons for that, and you can think of people in your life that are closed. That, that, that it become more closed off as they age. And so maybe it's your, your dad or your uncle or somebody like that. You're just like, man, they're just like really set in their ways. There's a reason why we say things like you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? It's because we all recognize there's this little pieces of us that close off as we get older. And I thought it was just a function of being older that as you age, you get cynical. But I think we're very cynical at a very young age now. And I don't know if that's the the proliferation of social media and all that kind of stuff, but we are pretty cynical pretty early on. You talk to a teenager, talk to someone in their 20s, uh, they're, they're not like wide open about the world. They're, there's a tendency to be closed off. And I understand it. I understand why we get closed because, and I understand why we're cynical because the world gives us many good reasons to be cynical and cynicism is easy and sometimes fun. But like, if you weren't cynical about public health before the last couple of years, you're probably cynical about it now, right? If you weren't cynical about politicians, I mean, you probably were, but if you weren't, 
you're probably cynical about them now. I've not heard people be like, you know, I just think politicians are in it for the best and they've got our best interests in heart. And it's like, no, you're probably cynical about that as well. If you, if you weren't cynical about higher education, you're probably cynical about it now. It's like these schools closed for a year and yet they still took full tuition from people. And how did they do this? And all that stuff that kind of floats around. Like there are reasons to be closed and cynical. And I understand what they are. Even, even with faith, man, it is so easy to be cynical about religion, right? It's, a, it's like low-hanging fruit. It's an easy target. Oh, yeah, the church. Insert comment about the church here. You know, the church is so uh, judgmental and, and, and bigoted, and the church is full of hypocrites and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and we become closed as we get more cynical. And, and I understand why it happens. For some of us, being closed down and, and being cynical, um, it comes from experience. You prayed to God for her, and then she died. She still died. You prayed that he wouldn't leave, and then he left. You prayed that you would be able to get that job, and you didn't get that job. You prayed to be able to keep that job, and you weren't able to keep that job. You prayed for this thing to happen, and the thing didn't happen. And so when someone comes along to you and says, hey, you should go to church, you're like, nah, I'm not doing it. I did that once. It didn't work. I got hurt there. Someone says, you should pray to God and ask him to help you with this thing. And you're like, ah, nope. I'm not going to be disappointed again. I'd rather not believe in God. I'd rather not go down that road than pray and hope and have my hopes dashed like that again. And you grow cynical. And I understand it, and it makes a lot of sense, and I see how we get there. You become closed off. You're closed off to God. You're closed off to the hope of a better career. You're closed off to the idea of dating again. You're, you're closed off to all sorts of things, and, and, and it's very painful to live that way. So I want to offer a different way forward for the next few weeks in this series. What would it look like to be the opposite of closed? What would it look like for us to be people who are wide open, open with each other, open to those outside of the community who, who need love and, and support? What would it look like for us to be open to God again, to be real, to be honest, to really put ourselves out there? Um, I, I think that's a, a, a beautiful thing, to be wide open. I mean, if, if someone described you as open-hearted, isn't that good? What if someone said of you, oh, he's got such an open mind? That's a good thing, right? What if someone says, she always just has open arms for people? That's good, right? These are all good things. Like when I die, I want them to say at my funeral, he was an open-hearted guy who had open arms for people. I don't want them to just say that. I want it to actually be true of me. I want people to say, that guy was pretty open. I, I don't want to be closed off, right? Don't you want that? You don't want your kids to say, man, mom and dad are so closed. They're so closed-minded. You don't want your spouse to be someone that you're like, man, their heart is closed to me and they've grown, grown cold. We want to be open. And so I want to talk about um, what it takes to be wide open in, in different ways. And particularly, I want to, I want to focus on uh, our relationship with God and then how that affects our relationship with other, other people. Um, what does it look like to be wide open to God? And so... Um, I want to, uh, my goal in this series is that we would be more open as a community with each other to what God is doing around us and in us and through us over the course of this series. So I want to read to you an encounter that Jesus has with a man who was blind. 
And I want you to see the openness of God in this and, and where Jesus shows up. And then how his disciples and other people react and, and where their mindset is at as well. It's in John chapter 9. We're going to put it up on the screen. Let me just read you a couple verses uh, of Jesus as he heals this blind man. So John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. All right, when you read that, what do you notice? What kind of jumps out at you? So like, for me, it says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Um, Jesus saw this guy who was blind from birth, who probably um, in that culture, he's going to be by the side of the road, he's begging. And everybody has probably seen that guy before. Um, that's the way it goes. This guy probably shows up at the same place all the time, and he's sitting there begging. And it, and it points out that Jesus saw him. And it's not that everyone else didn't see him. It's just that they didn't really see him, right? Like, they, they didn't, didn't notice. They've probably walked by him so many times that eventually they just stopped seeing him altogether. And you know how this is. Oh, this person's, oh, they're always over there doing that. And they just ignored him. But Jesus didn't. Jesus notices his eyes are open, his heart's open, his mind is open, he's, he's ready to do something, and he sees this guy. Now the disciples, are they open or closed in their response and the way they act about it? Well, I would suggest they, they've got their mind made up. Or they, they're, they're slightly open, but they're mostly closed in this encounter because they see this blind man and they make an assumption. This guy is blind and it is a punishment. And so their only question at this point that they ask Jesus is, hey, this guy's been blind from birth. Is it because of something he did or is it because of something his parents did? Which is kind of an old way of thinking, this idea that if you have a physical deformity or there's something wrong with you or whatever, whatever pain you're in, whatever, it's either your fault or it's a hereditary thing. It's the fault of your parents and they were cursed with a child who was born blind or whatever. It's kind of a weird thing to say. Is it this guy's fault? If he's been blind from birth, it definitely was not his fault, right? That should be obvious. What do you mean did this guy sin? Who cares? He was blind from birth, right? And so it's not his fault. But notice that their, their idea is just in this narrow, they just have this narrow view. They're closed off to other possibilities. Here's the only, only possibility for them. This guy is blind. It is a result of sin. It's either his fault or his parents' fault. That's it. And Jesus, being more open, brings them another alternative and says, no. Um, he sees a possibility there. And he goes, no, this happened. This is for, for this moment. And that God is going to do something in this guy's life. God's work will be displayed in this guy's life. And he brings a different option. And, and if we're open, we could, we could see it. What if... It's not that this guy's being punished for, for what he did, or what if it's not his parents were punished and they had a child that was born blind? What if it's that God is going to do something amazing in this moment? And the disciples weren't open to that. They weren't open to that possibility. I think you see this a lot in, in our culture where we, we kind of grab an answer and then we become closed off to all other possibilities. Um, and, and everybody does it to some degree, right? I was talking to a guy the other day, 
and we were talking about the fact that, and if you don't know this, you can look this up later. This is hard, okay? I'm just going to mention this in the Old Testament. The fact that God tells the Israelites to basically commit genocide against a whole group of people in the Old Testament, uh, an entire tribe. And if you read that, you, you, you've got options of, okay, what do I make of that fact or that story or that account from the Old Testament? What is this? What's going on? Why would a loving, caring God order one group to slaughter an entire other group of people? And so the person was talking to me about it, and this guy said, um, you know, like, I, I don't like that. I think probably what it is is that the way, the way that, that, that ancient cultures would tell stories, they would exaggerate. So probably that's just an exaggeration that the Jews were using to tell their story. So one option is exaggeration. Another option is um, God really ordered that, and God is wicked and evil and a terrible and a terrible being. This is the this is the option that people like Richard Dawkins, so your famous atheist, they write these books like God is not good, and they write things about that, and they say this is a. a, a homicidal, genocidal maniac in the Old Testament, and that's who God is. So one option is God's terrible. Another option is this is just an exaggeration. It didn't really happen. And I said, are you open to another option? What if it really was a wicked culture and God is judging that culture? What there, there's evidence that some of these cultures would sacrifice their firstborn children on burning altars. So if an entire uh, country or tribe or, or people group decides what we're going to do is sacrifice firstborn children, and God says, I want you to wipe those people out, who, maybe, that's a, maybe that's the right call. Like, who are, who are we to judge thousands of years later and cultures removed later of, of, of that? Maybe that's, maybe that's the way to go. But this guy hadn't seen that as a possibility. He wasn't open to that. It was always, it's either this or, or it's this. And I'm like, no, maybe God's doing something. And, and, and maybe there's another, from his perspective of being able to see the whole world, there's different uh, alternatives here of what, of what can be done. I just want to say, I, I point that out to say, when you read something in the Scripture and there's red flags that kick up for you, maybe instead of saying uh, that's wrong, maybe... Start looking for other possibilities and being open to, okay, what could this mean? And, and what does this teach me about the culture then or about God's character or about who I am? That maybe there's some possibilities there that you haven't explored yet. So Jesus sees this blind man and he sees another option. Verse 4, let me read to you. He says this, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And this is what he does for this guy. He says, Having said these things... He spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. All right, I get real hung up on the details of that, don't you? Like, gross. <laughs> like, there's definitely a different way he could have done this. And I, and I just get real, like... Why would you do that? Like, because it's not like he hasn't healed people other ways. We've seen that even if you were with us this last series we did through the book of Luke. You see Jesus heal people. He can touch them. He can speak to them. He can speak to them when they're not even there. He brings Lazarus back from the dead just by saying, Lazarus, come forth, you know, and then Lazarus, he just speaks and Lazarus comes back from the dead. Like, Jesus can do that kind of stuff. What's the deal with the spit and the mud? It seems like a weird way to do it. And it's also like, a, like it feels like an incomplete miracle. Like, 
go work, okay, I'm going to put this mud in your eye, now go wash off and you'll be better. Just, I mean, stop with all that. Just do the thing, right? Like, there's actually some, you know, if you look into uh, scholars who've written about this, there's, there's some belief that in the ancient world that spit or saliva is associated with healing. So if someone was to spit on the ground in that culture, people might be like, oh, a healing's about to happen. He's about to do something. Weird, I know, but the healing properties of saliva or something like that, that was a, a belief. There's other people who have suggested that because it's the dust of the earth. This is a, a, like a reference back to Genesis that God created man out of the dust, and so Jesus is going to recreate this man, in a sense, out of the dust, so he makes this mud saliva thing. I, I think a useful understanding of this is that, uh, that Jesus makes mud and he puts this on this guy's eyes. And if this guy is legally blind but not... And, and they're kind of looking at it that way, like he could see a little bit maybe legally blind, not total darkness blind, um, then mud in his eyes is not going to make his condition better. It's going to make his condition worse. And the only way forward is to walk through the darkness and the cloudiness of that and go do what Jesus said to him, which is go wash in this pool and you'll be healed. And so that's what the guy does. And I think that's sort of an interesting take on it. And I think it's a good reminder to us that sometimes... Our only way forward is to just obey Jesus in the dark. He's going to say something. He's going to tell you something. He's going to push you forward, and it's going to be weird, and it's going to be hard. And our only option here is just obey him. Just, just do it. Trust. may not make sense to you right now. You may feel like you're wandering in the dark, but do what he says. And so this guy does. He obeys Jesus, and he is, and he is healed. Sometimes the cure that Jesus offers us looks like it's going to make things worse. Sometimes we pray for the disease to go away and the disease gets worse. Sometimes we pray that God would heal a broken relationship and in fact the relationship gets taken away from us com completely. Sometimes we pray for God to make our work situation better and we just lose the job altogether. When Jesus does some of his best work, it doesn't always immediately seem good or right. You can see this on the cross. Jesus is dying for our sins, but if you were to take a snapshot moment of Jesus on the cross, it sure doesn't look like his plan is going very well. He's trying to teach people love and build the community and build the kingdom, and he's dying. They're, they're slaughtering him at the hands of the Jews and the Romans, and it looks like it's not working very well, your plan, Jesus. Things look dark. They're getting worse. And yet, if you continue to read on, you know how that story ends. He has victory over death, and he, 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 he defeats death. And so there's something powerful going on there where God actually wins. But there's this moment of darkness where things get worse, and I think that's what happens with this guy. He's blind, and Jesus puts mud in his eye and sends him away, and that looks worse. But sometimes God does his best work in those moments. And when we read stories like this in the, in the New Testament, I think um, it's, we have, all have this tendency to like put ourselves in the story, like who am I in the story? And I think a lot of us can identify with the disciples if we were honest about it, because the disciples were very skeptical, and we're skeptical people. Jesus is going to heal this guy, Jesus is going to do this great thing, and there's his closest followers that are sitting there going, that's not going to work, or no, this guy's a sinner, no, his parents, and like they have their preconceived ideas of this situation. And a lot of us are just like that. No, this guy probably, I mean, if you saw someone like that, you'd be like, oh, that guy probably deserved it. He, did, he made some stupid choices. 
is what, we might, is what we might say in our culture. Not that he's been sinful since birth, but we might just say, oh, this person made some, some bad choices and they're, they're paying the, you know, they shouldn't have got that Red Ryder BB gun with the compass and the stock then the thing that tells time and they'd still have their eye or whatever. We'll come up with reasons why, right? So we're a little bit like the disciples there. Um, or maybe you feel like today that you're the blind man. You're like, look, it's, it's not good. It hasn't worked out well. My situation is bad, and it's been bad for a long time, and, and I can't believe I am today where I'm at. I, I did not expect this. If you had asked me 10 years ago, am I going to end up here, I, I would have not asked for any of this. And you feel hopeless, and you feel lost or, or, or broken. Maybe you feel like that in this story. But I think we should actually aspire when we read these accounts from the New Testament. We should aspire to be like Jesus. How does he show up in this situation? Two things. Number one, open your eyes to where God is at work around you. Jesus saw something that everyone else ignored, that this guy was there and he needed help. They just saw a blind beggar, and Jesus saw a precious person who is loved by God. And Jesus sensed that his heavenly Father, that Father God, wanted to do something in this guy's life. So open your eyes to where the work can be done around you. This doesn't mean you're going to go out into Cary Street right now when we leave and, and be like, who can I, you know, I got some spit in me and maybe, <laughs> maybe I could do some work right now. Like I, I'm not suggesting that you do that. What I am saying, though, is that um, you, you can do some things for people around you, but you will never do them if you don't see them. It'll never happen. God will not work some healing through you to a person that you're not even noticing. Like our eyes have to be open to where God is at work around us. Think about it. There's people in need all around you. There's people in need in this room right now, sitting near you. They're struggling. They're lonely. People who feel disconnected. There's people who just want to be known and to know people, to be in relationship. And this isn't an introvert-extrovert thing. Everybody, we're designed this way. We need those connections. We all need this. There are people who are hurting. Now, they're not going to walk into the room and be like, hey, everyone, it's good to be here. I'm hurting. But if you pay attention and you stay open, you'll pick up on it. When you're talking to a friend, Listen for when you hear disappointment. When they say, oh man, I applied for that job, I didn't get it. Oh yeah, tell me more about that. What was that like? How'd that go? When, when they say, um, I tried to have that conversation with her, but it, it didn't go well. Oh, that, that's an invitation when someone says that. You go, oh. And you can just say these three words, tell me more. Tell me more about that. These are invitations to engage. And what we have to fight against, you have to fight against, I have to fight against, is our tendency to just be in our own stuff. Some of us are raging narcissists, but all of us are at least whatever the opposite of raging is. Mild, lightly raging narcissists, I don't know. We've all got a little piece of it in us. We can all focus on ourselves and we're surrounded by a culture that wants to sell us stuff so they tell us to focus on ourselves and just be about you, you know? And so when we do that, when we look inward, we don't see 
the people around us. We don't see where God is trying to do something. The, the secret, I think, is if you focus on others and you look at the people around you, it actually helps make your own pain go away. There's a Chinese proverb that says this, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. I think there's some wisdom in that. And I'm not big into, oh, happiness is the, the most important thing, the pursuit of happiness, all that, but there's something there. If you want flourishing, go out, look outward. Do not just focus on your stuff all the time and, and, and your struggles. The flourishing comes when we see the people around us and work. Second thing we get out of this is this, open your eyes to what God will do through you. Jesus was aware of this man and, and aware of what could be done here. He, he was open to being used by his heavenly father. And you go, well, God's not trying to use me to heal people. Maybe not in that way, not, not in a, you know, touch their eye kind of thing. But I do think God is trying to use you to heal people, maybe in some different ways. The Apostle Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read a piece of this, and then there's, in the second slide, I want us to read something together. There'll be some words that are underlined. I want to read them together. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us, this is key, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Read this together with me. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is baked into the plan. God is making his appeal to the world through us. He's not writing it in the sky. He's not spamming people with email. His way of getting the word out, of spreading the love of God, the love that we have from the Father, his way of reaching other people is through you and me. That's the plan. That is plan A, and there is no plan B. It is, it is we, the people, coming together to spread the word of God. Um, that means he's going to use you to speak words of hope and healing to your coworker who's hurting. He's going to use you to talk to that guy on your kickball team. He's going to use you to speak up at school for that one kid who's really struggling. You are perfectly positioned to spread the love of God to the people that you know. Now you're going to say like, I can't do that. I don't have the right words. Chris, why don't you do that? You have good words. You, you studied this. Apparently, you just took another class on it or something. Like, you go say the words. Here's the thing. I don't know your friends. You know your friends. God put you there to talk, to speak up, to notice them, to listen, to offer hope and healing. God puts you in that place. But even as I tell you to speak up and, and say, hey, what would it look like to be open to the people around you and, and spread the love of God to them and speak to them? Even as I tell you that, notice your tendency to close down as I say it. Notice your tendency to be like, yeah, I'm not a speak up kind of person. I'm a little more reserved. I'm not a 
share my faith. I like to just live my faith out and then I'm not going to say anything. We'll get to that later in this series. But I just want you to notice that in your own heart, that little piece of you that wants to close off as soon as I suggest that you be open in, in this way. S- speak up. I know you're going to say, I'm not perfect. I shouldn't tell anybody anything. I get it. But speak up. Let's, we're going to spend some time there in the next couple weeks. We'll, we'll get into that more. But my hope and prayer in this is that you, we will all be a little more open. This is a, a need in, in America, I think, and in, in, in our community. There's a need to be honest, to share what we have really going on in our lives, to, to be real, because um, the church gets accused of not being real, of being fake, of being hypocritical, of being out of touch. And I get it. I get why people say that. Because when you say the words of Jesus out loud to a group of people in America today, and you say, this is what Jesus taught, it's not always popular. It doesn't fit with current American cultural moods. And that is not a bug of the scripture. That's a feature That is the way it's supposed to be. If this is the word of God for all culture throughout history, if this is God's communication to mankind, we should not read it and expect that it lines up perfectly with everything we've ever believed and ever been taught. That was a thing. We shouldn't expect that to be the case. We should expect that when you read it, it makes you uncomfortable. Jesus says you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. But the reality is the truth is going to annoy the crap out of you first. It's going to make you uncomfortable. That's, that's the truth of this thing. So we need to be, speak the truth. We need to be honest. We need to be a community that... It's going to be open about our stuff and what we believe. We believe that a guy came back from the dead. That's weird. There's no way around that. That's weird. But it's pretty central to this whole thing. We are sinners who blow it and mess up. So I so appreciate Elizabeth sharing her story this morning that we watched on video. To be honest, right? To be honest. It's like, um, yeah, it's not great. Things are not great. And when she got honest about it, God changed her. And he's not going to just do that for her. He can do that for all of us. But it starts when we are open and honest about our stuff. So the band's going to come out here and play. And we're going to, uh, we're going to sing together. And, and as they do that, I, I just want to ask you these questions um, for you to think about right now as we start this series. Number one, where do you feel closed right now? Where, what aspect of your life, relationship with God, others, where are you feeling closed off? Where do you notice resistance even as I'm talking? Oh, I'm going to put up a wall right here. Where is that happening for you? Um, What are the relationships that you're trying to run from right now? What are the conversations that you don't want to have and that you hope nobody asks you about? So that's it. Where do you feel closed off right now? And then the second question I have is, who do you see in your circle of influence that needs to know the goodness of God. There's somebody around you that's in pain, and they're not going to announce it, but they might tell you something that was disappointing to them, and it's an open invitation to, 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 get, more, to get more information and to connect. So where do you feel closed off? 
and where do you see, who do you see in your circle of influence that needs to know the goodness of God? Maybe you can invite them to a small group or invite them to an event or invite them to church and say, hey, um, I know you're in a hard spot. Let's, let's do this together and I'll, and I'll sit with you. And I'll sit with you in a space of not being judgmental. I, you're, you're in a hard spot. Let me sit with you in this. So I want to close. Um, we're, going to, we're going to sing about God's goodness. So let's stand together. And as we sing this, um, as you pick up on the song, singing about God's goodness may not feel authentic for you right now. You might be like, man, I don't believe in the goodness of God. Um, but one of the things I like about songs is sometimes if you sing along, they force you to say things that you may not believe in the moment, but they can kind of sink into your heart a little bit. And so my prayer is that even if you can't sing this and believe it about the goodness of God, that it will, that it will be true for you over the weeks and months, that you'll become more open and, and see where God is doing good things around you. May this song be a, a gentle reminder about who God really is. Let's sing together. I will sing of the goodness of God.